Bibles, please, to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 25. The last three Sunday mornings, as you well know, uh, we've turned to Luke, chapter 19, and we've preached on verse number 13. And some of you might be thinking, well, that's the last thing we need is another message on that subject. And uh, I'm not sure I would agree with you, but anyway, uh, I understand why you might be thinking that. T tonight, I, I want you to think about more about what it looks like to occupy. We talk about it means to do business uh, for the Lord, and we've looked at it uh, uh, we looked at it uh, in part, at least, uh, in the second week of those messages. But tonight, I, I want you to look at a similar parable. I've actually already mentioned this uh, a few weeks ago. But tonight, and this is not, by the way, a study of this parable, but it's a study from this parable. It would be an entirely different message if I took the time to go through and look at each detail of the parable found here beginning in verse number 14, but I want you to notice verse 13 because there is a parable before we get down to the one that I'm speaking about, the parable of the talents. The first one is the parable of the ten virgins that ends with these words, Watch therefore, for ye know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. And then we begin the parable of the talents. For the kingdom of heaven is as, a man, is as a man traveling into a far country who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. And unto one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to every man according to his several ability, and straightway took his journey. Then he that had received the five talents went and traded with the same and made them other five talents. And likewise, he that had received two, he also gained other two. But he that had received the one went and digged in the earth and hid his Lord's money. And after a long time, the Lord of those servants cometh and reckoneth with them. Now, I'm going to stop there for the moment instead of reading the entire parable. And the reason that I want us to consider this parable tonight is because I think here in this chapter we find that it's more descriptive of what we ought to be doing uh, and what it means actually to, to occupy, to do business for the Lord. Here we see the believer's business, the disciple's duty, the saint's service, and realizing the reality of our Lord's return. In case somebody wasn't here this morning, I preached about the last part of that text that we mentioned in Luke 19, till he come. We're to occupy till he come. And if we're living in the light of that reality, it results in devotion to duty. And that makes this of great importance to us. So in regards to the believer's business, the first thing I want you to notice is here in verse 14 and 15 that he speaks about attention to our assignment. And notice the word talents here. That, for you young people that might be thinking about that, has a reference to our abilities and what have you. It doesn't doesn't have anything to do with your ability as we think of it. Rather, it refers to a sum of money uh, or, or 
actually a weight of silver, which was used for money. But in this parable, it actually represents something more than money. It represents what the Lord gives us uh, by way of opportunity, by way of means. And, of course, that could include certain abilities. It could include certain uh, riches. It could uh, have to do with a lot of different things. Whatever it is that the Lord gives us and the opportunities that the Lord provides for us, that's what he's talking about whenever he uses this picture of the talents. Here is showing the Lord giving to these men certain things and obviously expecting them to use those things. Notice that he says here in verse 15, unto one he gave five, and to another two, and to another one, to every man according to his several ability. And then notice he straightway took his journey. He went into the far country. He went off. While he's gone, while they were to be working and putting these things to good use. So it's obvious from this, the first thing that jumps out at me when we think about him assigning us our responsibilities here, that all three of these people are different. They're given different things. And it reminds us that we're all different. No two people are exactly alike. We're all different. God gives to us different things. God expects different things from us. That's why we ought to never compare ourselves to other people. One of the Morning Manna articles recently was, uh, it's not the title, but I, I don't think, I don't remember the exact title, but the comment in it was, it's okay to be you. It's okay to be you. It really is. You don't have to try to be like somebody else. It's okay to be you. Just be all that you can be. You see, that's what God expects from all of us. And that differs from person to person. So whether you do more than somebody else or whether you do less than somebody else really doesn't matter whatsoever because the standard by which God's going to judge all of us is faithfulness. I think the best example of that is the story of the poor widow over in Luke chapter number 21. And uh, here is a woman who gave two mites a very, very, very small amount of money, two mites. And, of course, the Lord was there and the others as they were lined up and they're watching as these people go by and put their, put their money in the treasury and she puts in her two mites and the Lord turns to those fellows and says, she's given more than all of you. Well, how could that possibly be? Uh, well, it is because she gave all. That's all she had, the Bible says. What they gave, no doubt, you know, by, by our human standard, a larger sum of money, but they had some in reserve. They had money left over. So God, when He measures the size of our gift, He measures it according to what's left not according to what is actually given. And that ought to thrill our heart because when, when we give our all to the Lord, when we do the very best we can with what we got, where we are, while we can, when we do that, we know that God doesn't expect any more than that from us. We know that we have done just as good as somebody who gave a larger sum of money that can sing better than we can and do more than we do We've done just as much as they have when we give our all. So our assignment is clear 
And we just need to keep our focus on that. And one of the best ways to do that is to consider this next point that I'm going to make. Actually, is made for us here in verse 19. And that is awareness to our accountability. So not only is there attention to our assignment, but awareness of our accountability. Look at verse 19. After a long time, the Lord of those servants cometh and reckoneth with them. You know, one of the most important things in life is to remember who is in charge. In other words, we need to understand who we're dealing with. In this parable, notice he's called the Lord of those servants. But for us, it's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. It's the one with absolute authority in heaven and earth. It's the one who is aware of everything we do. The one that we know that observes everything we do. So, you know, he is the authority to whom we are accountable. In this day and age, there are a lot of folks that resent authority. They just want to be free to live however they want to live. They don't want to be accountable to anyone. That, that accounts for the lawlessness that we see in this day and age. We can't build prisons fast enough for those that are incarcerated. I mean, it, it, it's horrible what we see in, in, in our nation today. And it's all due to the fact that there's no respect for authority, and that goes right back to the failure in the homes where children were not taught to respect authority. Authority is a fundamental issue of life because it addresses the question of who is in charge. In other words, who has the right to govern? Now, I mentioned this, folks, not only because it's mentioned here in verse 19, but because this was a bone of contention between Jesus and the Jews in that day. Over in Luke chapter 20, you don't need to turn there, but this is what it says. It says, the Jews speaking to him, By what authority doest thou these things? By what authority do you do these things? Whether it was Jesus teaching, whether it was Jesus giving commandments, whether it was his miracles, they questioned everything he did and they questioned him, by what authority do you do these things? Well, Jesus answered that in Matthew 28 when he said, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Philippians chapter 2 speaks about him and the fact that every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that he is Lord. So Jesus is the one who has absolute divine authority and because of that we have to obey him. We ought to obey him. We should have a desire to obey him. Why? Because we have to give an account of ourselves to Christ and whether we suffer loss, whether we get gain, all depends upon on what we've done and so we need to live every day of our life with this awareness that we are accountable we're accountable for the way we spend our money we're accountable for the way we spend our time we're accountable for everything we do in life in fact jesus said every idle word he's going to hold us accountable for every small detail of our life and things that you know ordinarily we just blot out things that we don't think of 
And yet the Lord is aware of all of those things and we have to give an account of ourselves. Can you imagine going to school and telling the kids, now look, it's a law that you have to attend school and so I'm going to send you and that way you can get an education. But let's just suppose that the particular school just, you know, they they have no accountability and maybe they designed the school that way with all the screwball ideas that they've got today in common core math and things like that you never know what they're going to have but all you got to do is go to school and attend participation trophy some of you i'm i'm sorry for getting sidetracked some of that stuff just gets in my mind and i wonder to myself how can people be so stupid as to see what we're seeing today to where, you know, boys, males can compete as girls in their competitions and, and legitimately, supposedly, win the competition all because they're so confused they don't know what gender they are. I mean, that's what we're seeing today in this messed up world. But imagine a school where nobody's accountable for anything. All you've, all you've got to do, the only accountability is you've got to go, you've got to put in your time, you know, whenever it's 3 or 3.30 and you get out, that's okay. But in between, you do whatever you want. There's no grading system. You don't have to have any tests or anything. Well, it would be a complete disaster. And life for anyone who does not understand and respect authority, it's going to end up disastrous. I mean, there, look, there are consequences to the choices that we make. And, and whenever, whenever we just decide I'm going to do whatever I want to do, I'm going to do whatever feels good to me, whatever is profitable to me, why we're in trouble because we all have to live under authority and we need to live with that awareness. Why? Because we are accountable to the Lord. Now, there's something else I want you to notice whenever we get down to verse number 34. He calls our attention to the fact that in doing business for the Lord, it requires us attending to the needs of one another attending to the needs of one another. And this comes right on the heels of the parable of the talents. And notice in verse 34, Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my father, and inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was a hungered, and ye gave me meat. I was thirsty, and ye gave me drink. I was a stranger, and ye took me in naked, and ye clothed me. I was sick, and ye visited me, and I was in prison, and you came unto me. I already mentioned this in another message, but it's important that we understand what's going on here because it's speaking about the fact that if we're doing business for the Lord, if we're really serving the Lord, and if we're living with the awareness of our accountability, fulfilling our responsibility, then we're going to be meeting the needs of other people. This shows the great practical value of the Christian life because, you know, lived as it ought to be lived, needs are met. That makes it a practical value. For some of you, maybe like Bev, I think uh, if it's not still her favorite book of the Bible, it is one of them, and that's the book of James. And it's so good because it is so practical. It gets right down to the nitty-gritty where the rubber meets the road. I mean, this is, I mean, this is putting it in shoe leather and living it out, and that 
that makes it of great interest to us. And so when we think about Christianity as a whole, when we think about serving God, we need to understand that it is important because of the fact that it attends to the needs of other people. But I've noticed something over 50-some years of preaching now that we tend to go to extremes. I mean, regardless of what the subject is, we, we get out of the ditch on one side of the road and we run into the ditch on the other side of the road over here because we're reacting to what we're protesting against. We see it in denominations, for example. There'll be a split of one group off of a particular denomination, and they'll go, you know, from, well, I won't get into all of that, but they'll go to the extreme of what the other one was. And and that happens. I bring that up because years ago, among the you know, the fundamentalist, uh, the independent, unaffiliated, fundamental Baptist. And, you know, we take such great pride in identifying ourselves by those particular things. But especially among that camp of which I was a part of, whenever I say that, I'm not talking about it from a, you know, a denominational aspect. I'm just talking about a position, a stance you know, that we take of, of being fundamental in our doctrines and so forth. But there was a lot of preaching about what was called back then the social gospel. Now, you'd never hear anybody talk about what we call the social gospel. Well, the social gospel simply had to do with these so-called churches and denominations that put all of the emphasis on ministering to the, you know, to the material and physical needs of other people and that we were to demonstrate our kindness before the Lord, but there was no real preaching of the gospel. There certainly was no denouncing of sinfulness or anything like that because it was all about, you know, making Christianity acceptable to people. That was really popular with a lot of folks. And so, boy, you know, we dug our heels in and preached against it, uh, that social gospel that, you know, that deceives people. And then there was the lifestyle evangelism. And uh, a great many folks began to oppose that. Uh, there, there were those, in fact, books written about lifestyle evangelism. And the whole idea of lifestyle evangelism is that we as Christians ought to live our lives in such a godly manner that it will make it evident to other people that we are Christians. Now, look, all of that is right. You can't find any fault with that. But the idea was that in doing so, just by our example it'll be powerful enough to bring people to a knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And among some of those that embraced that philosophy, uh, among some of them at least, there was no great emphasis on denouncing sin and preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So as you might expect, boy, we hammered away at that and what have you. The problem is... The problem is, a lot of us had gone to the extreme in the other direction because 
even among those that were fundamentally sound, doctrinally sound, those that stood against sin, those that preached the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, they didn't pay any attention or give any heed whatsoever to the needs of other people. Now, I'm not saying that was true of everyone, naturally, but I'm saying it was true of a great many of them. Boy, as long as we preach the gospel, as long as we denounce sin, we get all of that, we get that prom shut down, and we get, we get people out of the movies and mixed bathing, and we get this stopped and that stopped. We've done our job. No, we haven't done our job till we preach the glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. If we don't do that, it matters not what else we do. We have failed altogether. But all of that being said... It's important that you and I, as God's people, that we live a life of purity to the extent that it will indeed make an impression on others. Aren't we to be the light of the world? We're to be the salt of the earth, you see? And we can't expect to win other people to Christ unless they see something of Christ in us. Now, when we do that, there's great benefit in us doing that. When I say that, I'm talking about great benefit naturally toward other people because we are ministering to them. So as a result of that, our neighbors benefit from it. Our families benefit from it. Our friends benefit from that. In other words, those whose lives we touch, they benefit from it. In other words, in... in Yielding to the authority that is over us, considering our accountability and doing the job that has been assigned to us. In doing that, we are, number one, blessed, but number two, we are a blessing. And that's exactly what God intended for Abraham from the beginning. He said, I'm going to bless you and I'm going to make you a blessing. That's the way it ought to be for all of us, that in our life of obedience, in doing our in doing our job as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, we're going to be blessed, but we're going to be a blessing to others. Now, notice verse 37 and on down through verse number 40. And the next thing I want you to notice that he calls our attention to is that it has to do with attributing to our account. Notice what he says, And then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord... Now remember, this group is the righteous. These are the ones that he's commending. And, and then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee a hungered and fed thee or thirsty and gave thee drink? And when saw thee a stranger and took thee in or naked and clothed thee? And when saw we thee sick or in prison and came unto thee? The point is, in the process of serving others, we accomplish more than what we are aware of. In other words, what we do for others is considered to be a personal service to the Lord Jesus Christ. We are, if you don't get nothing else, get what I'm saying right now. We are unconsciously serving the Lord by helping other people. That makes every little thing a big thing. If you give a cup of cold water, a little thing, anybody can do that. 
but it becomes a big thing because he says, you have given it unto me. You see, so this makes serving others more than just a matter of us pleasing them. Naturally, whenever you help somebody that's in need, that's going to please them. But it also pleases the Lord. Notice, he says, verse 40, Ye have done it unto me. You know, that tells us the depth of our Lord's concern for other people. He, he, took, he took note of that. He says, you know, you did it for them, but in doing it for them, you did it for me. You've done it unto me. God values His people and what they do, and it's showing the depth of His great concern. And in this case, it has to do with our unconscious service to others because what we do for them is considered a service for Him. Have you ever thought about your service to other people being that important? Let that let, sink in. Have you ever thought about your service to others being of that great importance to the Lord? That you, you, you just did something that was just a little thing. You sent them a card or you, you know, you helped somebody change a flat tire. You, you did something to help somebody have a better day. And naturally, naturally it helped that person and it even made you feel better about yourself. But the most important thing about it is that it impressed the Lord and it pleased the Lord. When we, when we live every day and serve every day doing those things, realizing that in the doing of these things I'm serving the Lord, it puts delight in our duty. It brings joy to our job. It gives contentment to, to our chores, the things that ordinarily we wouldn't enjoy doing. All of a sudden it puts sunshine in, sunshine in the soap suds. It makes life better all the way around. There was a fellow by the name of uh, G.F. Watts. He became famous for his saying, the utmost for the highest. The utmost for the highest. And that's good. Oswald Chambers, of course, as you know, has maybe one of the most famous devotional books ever where it talks about our utmost for the highest. James Hastings came along some years later, and he suggested that it would have been better to say the utmost for the lowest. The utmost for the lowest. I suspect he must have been thinking about what we're talking about here, of us serving others, and in serving others, we're actually doing service for the Lord. So whenever I think about those two men and their debate about which one is the most appropriate, the fact is, we can't give our utmost to the highest unless we give our utmost to the lowest. And a lot of times, you know, we, we think, well, I want to give my utmost to the Lord. Boy, I mean, He is the highest. I want to do my very best for Him, but we don't want to make any contribution to those that are around us. And I realize that one of the things is that when we help people, there are always those I hesitate to use this word because I don't want somebody to misunderstand because they're, look, we're, we all find ourselves in need at some time or another. It's not a shame for you to be in need. It's not a shame for some Christian or the church to reach out and help you in your time of need. I would never say anything, 
you know, trying to, to put you down and embarrass you. So I don't mean it that way. But what I do mean is there are those in our society that are leeches. They, they don't want to do anything and they're going to do their best to live off of others. And the point is that when, when we are good to others, when we're serving others, meeting the needs of others, there's always going to be certain people that will take advantage of us. There, there's no way around that. And sometimes I don't care how hard you try, you, you just can't weed out all of the bad apples out of that. You, you just can't. There's some, I mean, some of them are slick. They're con men. They can, you know, sell you popcorn in the desert. And so, you know, you, you can't always see through what they're saying. And so understand that there'll be people take advantage of you. But let me ask you, is that any, is that really that big of a deal? You know, that we lose a few dollars or somebody, you know, took advantage of us for us to be able to minister unto the Lord? Now, I certainly don't think that you ought to give handouts out here to those that when you know they're going to buy drugs or they're going to buy alcohol and so forth, we, we shouldn't support that. We, you know, Look, Brother Richard and I was talking here a while back, and as he can tell you, we get calls here all of the time of people needing help or saying they need help. For some people, that's the way they make their living. They're the leeches I'm talking about. You know, they just go from church to church and organization to organization trying to live off of other people. We can't help everybody in the world. That's obvious. We're not that rich. We can't help everybody in... In, in in this area here, we, we can't. It's just humanly impossible. We try to help the members of our church, and we try to help those that are relatives to the members in the church, and we a lot of times help people that are total strangers that come in, and they've got a need. They're hungry, and so we'll try to get them something to eat. We don't want anybody to starve. So we try to help as we can, but we cannot help everybody but the wonderful thing is that in the process of us doing what we can to meet the needs of other people, the Lord remembers some things that we don't even remember. Notice what they said. When did we see you sick? Or when did we see you in prison? I don't remember that. And the Lord said, well, when you did it to the least of these, you did it unto me. He remembers deeds that we don't even remember. And as a result of that, it is, it is attributed, as it were, to our account. Notice verse 29. That brings us to the next thing that he speaks of, and that is an abundance of reward. Verse 29, For unto everyone that hath shall be given, and he shall have abundance but from him that hath not shall be taken away even that which he hath. It's so wonderful to think about the rewards in heaven. Jesus told us we ought to do that. We ought to think about them. The Apostle Paul certainly did whenever he talked about, you know, running the race and finishing the, the course and so forth. And he said, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness and for all of those, you know, that love his appearing. And so Paul thought much about rewards. It's wonderful to think about that 
whether or not others recognize what we've done on earth, the Lord's going to recognize that and reward us accordingly. But what I want you to see in this, that not only are there rewards in heaven, but there are benefits of serving God right here and now. In other words, we don't reap all of the rewards in heaven, you know, we reap some of those rewards here on earth. Turn over to Mark chapter number 10 for just a moment. And, and, and this helped me put these thoughts together. Mark chapter 10 and I think verse 28. And then Peter began to say unto him, Lord, we have left all and followed thee. Do you realize how amazing that statement is? And it was true. Those apostles left all to follow the Lord. And Jesus answered and said, Verily, I say unto you, There is no man that hath left house, or brethren, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands for my sake, and the gospels, but he shall receive an hundredfold now in this time houses, and brethren, and sisters, and mothers, and children, and lands with persecutions, and in the world to come eternal life. Notice verse 30 there. A hundredfold now, and notice, in houses, and brethren, and so on and so forth. In the very things that we had given up, the very things that we had sacrificed, the very things that we had lost, he says you're going to receive a hundredfold. Now make no mistake about it, there is a price to pay for following the Lord. But there's also, also a great profit in doing so. And i got to tell you, I can't understand everything that's implied by this. He says a hundredfold and... I don't know anybody that, you know, they gave up all to serve the Lord and they've got a hundredfold increase in the houses they own. So I, I can't understand everything about that, but it doesn't stop me from, from believing it or enjoying it. And those that sacrifices it were their, their family, their, their children, and they leave all of those things for the Lord's sake. And he says, I'm going to hear now. For those that forsake all, he says, I, I'm going to bless you with a hundredfold increase. I think back, to, and I do often, to when I was a boy. And we had a lot more than some people did. And we never ever at least I didn't ever think of ourselves as being really poor I remember the house where I grew up in we'd lived in two other houses for just a very short period of time one while I was an infant and and another one whenever I first started the first grade for just a, a month or so and dad finally was able to buy a little house four thousand dollars was the price that they paid for that house didn't have water in the house didn't have inside plumbing, had the outhouse for years and years and years and years. That's, that was the bathroom, the outhouse. 
had path, dark nights. I hated that place. Finally, after a few years, Dad, some way or another, scraped together enough money. It so happened that I had an uncle that was a plumber, and he helped Dad, and they, they got water in the house. Boy, what a day that was, and, and uh, got water in the kitchen, and uh, finally got rid of the icebox, finally got a refrigerator. Wow, that was something. A refrigerator. Used to the ice wagon to come by and have to go out and get your block of ice and bring it in, you know, and put it in the ice box and, and keep things cold. And finally, you 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 see what I'm saying? That was the way that that I was raised, and that's uh, uh, a house that we lived in when Bev and I started going together. And she was uh, she'd come over there. And in fact, even before that, to play with my sister, and uh, so she's familiar with that house. And and now I I go home like Lord willing we will here in a little bit and I'll look at the house that we live in now and think about what the Lord has given us. I as a boy I, I could not imagine living in a place like that. That would have been a place like movie stars live in a swimming pool in the backyard. A great big garage out out there. Uh, I, I just couldn't imagine living in a house like that. Air conditioning, a beautiful home, and the assurance that we can live there till we die. I, I, I never dreamed that. Bev and I packed up uh, what we had many years ago, and I felt God calling me that I ought to accept the church in Tennessee. We moved away from our kids, grandmas and grandpas. They, 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 they never was, never did have the privilege of being raised around, you know, their grandparents like a lot of kids do. Let me tell you, you kids, if you've had the privilege of living close by grandma and grandpa and what have you, you better count that a great blessing in your life and you ought to be thankful to God for that. My kids never did have that, however. But I mention all of these things to say this. Look at what God has given us and where we are. And by the way, He's he's done all of that without me being a perfect servant by far he's done far more than what i expected far more than what i deserve and as far as grandmas and grandpas and brothers and sisters I, I i just look out there it's so easy for us to get to thinking about the church and the bad seeds you know and all this, oh, this one boy they must really be backslidden they don't love the Lord. it's so easy for the you know, for you to get your focus on the failures of the few in the church. And boy, I'll tell you what, if you'll just take a little while and look around and really stop and think, we've got some of the most wonderful people on the face of the earth, and we're more than just a congregation. We are indeed like a family of people that love one another. My kids did have grandmas and grandpas. Every one of them can tell you of people that served, as it were, as surrogate grandmas and grandpas in their lives 
during those years. No, I don't understand everything that is implied by this statement, but I understand that part where he is telling us that here and now there is a reward. Even if there was no heaven to gain, no hell to shun, the Christian life would still be the very best life possible that anybody could live. We need to do it. One last thought, going back to where I started. He speaks about us awaiting His arrival. Verse 13, watch, therefore. Therefore. That refers back to the parable of the ten virgins. Five were wise, five were foolish. Five were ready, five were not. And He says, watch, therefore. It's kind of like him saying, let that be a lesson to you. For ye know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. But we do know at least three things. We know it's going to be sure. We know it could be sudden. And we know it will be selective. As he said, there'll be two in the field and one will be taken and the other left. There'll be two in the bed. One will be taken and the other will be left. It's selective. Jesus is coming back. He's coming back for his people, his own, those that have been saved. And those that are lost will be left in this, in this wicked world that we live in. I, maybe some folks have thought, well, yeah, but wow, if that rapture you talk about takes place and all of the Christians are suddenly snatched out of the world, you know, uh, what's people going to think? Well, I'll tell you, you know, what's going to be the explanation? The Bible says that the man of sin, the Antichrist, is going to come on the scene and they will believe the lie. He'll have an explanation for it. Oh, yeah, there was some kind of a meteor shower up there in the gravitational force. I, I don't know what it would possibly be. But they'll be gullible enough to believe it. They will. But we know for one thing, it's going to be sure the Lord is coming. And if you're not ready, you need to get ready. And the only way to be ready is to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. And if you've already done that, then you need to busy yourself as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, serving Him. And remember, the way that we serve Him is what? By ministering to others. Making sure that we not only get the gospel to them, but that we demonstrate to them what it means to really love one another. And that is to the best of our ability to try to meet their needs and help them through the difficulties of life. Let's all stand. Heavenly Father, I pray tonight that you'll help us not only to, to understand what our responsibility is, but the Lord that you'll empower us to do what we know that we should. And there's so many times, Lord, we... We know based on what the Bible says exactly what we ought to be doing. We know that sometimes we're even convicted that we're failing to do those things. 
And yet, sometimes we just keep on failing over and over again. Sometimes it just seems like that there is no way possible for us to be successful in serving you like we should. But we know that you've never called us to do anything that we can't do if we'll depend upon you for help. So, Lord, help us tonight. We want to be all that we can be for you. And help us, Heavenly Father, to please you by making it a point to do our best to be a blessing to others. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. While we stand together and as we sing. Page 377.